0: This is Kwame Alexander. I'm the author of The Door of No Return, and I'm so excited to be on Marginalia.
1: Kwame Alexander is a poet, educator, publisher, and New York Times bestselling author of 35 books. He has been awarded the Caldecott Medal, the Newbery Medal, was long listed for the National Book Award, and was the recipient of the Lee Bennett Hopkins Poetry Award, the Coretta Scott King Author Honor, three NAACP Image Award nominations, and the inaugural Pat Conroy Legacy Award. And he is the NPR Morning Edition Poet in Residence. His most recent book, The Door of No Return, is historical fiction told in verse, based on the real lives of the Ashanti people and tells the saga of an African family through the eyes of 12-year-old Kofi and his friend Ama, as they come of age in pre-colonial Ghana. I recently spoke with Kwame Alexander about this new book, The First in a Trilogy, and more. I'm Beth Goldlay. this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. So The Door of No Return is a middle grade novel, and I've seen you describe it in like interviews as a saga of an African family. But I've also seen you describe the book as, you know, it's about a boy with a crush. So maybe you can give our listeners a bit more of an overview or insight into the book.
0: Yeah, I mean, when we think about Africa. And, you know, sort of my idea is that, yeah, this I set out to write the saga of an African family, but many of us think of Africa in sort of stereotypical, you know, notions and terms because it's what we watched on TV or what we read about in books that were badly written. And I wanted to write a book that really was honest and authentic and real and true to what the life of a boy growing up in a village in West Africa was like. In in many ways, it's like a boy growing up anywhere in the world. I mean, he had a crush on a girl. He had a cousin who's a bully who liked the same girl. He, you know, ha- doesn't like his teacher in school. You know, he's, he's being forced to read Shakespeare. And so these sort of everyday natural happenings are taking place in his life. And so part of my goal here was to show that yeah, this kid laughs, loves, hopes, dreams, plans, cries, lives just like everybody else until his life is interrupted in sort of this, you know, dramatic and, and somewhat traumatic way.
1: You know, the book, The Door of No Return, is it's a work of historical fiction told in verse, and it's based on the real lives of the Ashanti people. And in your acknowledgments you wrote every story has a beginning a middle and an end. I wrote this one because people need to know that the middle was not our beginning. I wanted to speak the truth about the history of African Americans because while most of us are aware of the American part, it's time for us to know more about the African part. Can you talk to me a little bit about this?
0: You just first of all you are awesome and I appreciate, you know, you just really being able to talk about the book with such, you know, understanding. I, I get that you get some of it and I appreciate that. I believe that knowing the history of black Americans is important. And and certainly 1619 was a pivotal time for us, but Again, it's not the beginning of our journey. It is, in fact, as you said, it's the middle. And so I wanted to write about the beginning for one particular reason, and that is, how do we become better human beings? I don't want to sound all esoteric and whatever, Beth, but this is something I strongly and passionately believe. How do we become better human beings? We become better human beings by being able to recognize the humanity in other people. Who don't necessarily look like us or or live like us or go to church like us or live in our communities or whatever. And so, how do we begin to appreciate and recognize the humanity in other people? Well, we got to acknowledge it. Well, how do we acknowledge it? We got to understand it. Well, how do we understand it? Well, we got to read. You know, we got to be learned. We got to be, you know, committed to immersing ourselves in understanding the communities and cultures of all of us. It doesn't mean we got to know everything about everybody, but we got to know something that connects us and connects the human spirit. And I think the best way to sort of learn and understand is you, you got to feel something. And I try to write books. I tried to write the door of no return in a way that when you read it, you are going to feel something. That's going to help you learn something. And that learning is hopefully going to change the way you think and ultimately the way you act. And that acting is the thing that helps us become better people.
1: You know, the book is it's a novel and it is written, as we mentioned, in verse and I tried to get my hands on an early copy of the audiobook because, you know, number one, storytelling is, you know, it's an oral tradition. But also, you know, number two, I wasn't exactly sure how to read enjambments with this verse, but I just I just read it <laughs> because you can absolutely right. it can absolutely just be read as a novel. So, first of all, how do you read it? And do you have advice for someone who might be intimidated by the structure of this novel in verse?
0: So two things I will say is, A, the way you described it is spot on. Like, I feel like you're a teacher, Beth. Like, I want to sit in your class. Because you are good at explaining things. You've been doing this for a while. (laughs) I mean, when you said enjambment, I was like, wow, I haven't heard that since poetry class in Virginia Tech. You go. Um, But no, seriously, the thing I would say is that this is a novel. I write stories with beginnings, middles, and ends. I just happen to choose a different form of language to communicate that story. And so if I'm doing my job right, you're reading this novel, and you you forget by page 10 or 37 that you're actually reading poem. Mm-hmm. You just get caught up in the story if I'm doing my job. That's the goal. That's, that's, that's the effort I'm trying to make. And I think ultimately, it's not intimidating, Beth, because look how many words are on the page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so few words. Look how much white space is on the page. Just think of a kid looking at that. And you know, the adults, Beth, we're the ones who are intimidated because we have this sort of stayed you know, complicated, complex history with poetry because of how it was taught to us. But the kids look at the poem and it's like, it's so much white space. I got this. <laughs> they can finish it in a matter of seconds. So I, 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 I reject that notion that it's intimidating. I, I, I consider the, 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 the alternative and the opposite. That is actually, you know, it, it, it allows young people to be able to sort of, you know, embrace a form of literature that's concise, that's rhythmic, that's figurative. And ultimately, it's a bridge to getting them to appreciate more longer forms of literature.
1: So, I was fascinated by the Adinkra symbols. You, you placed them at the beginning of each section to foreshadow what was about to happen. Can you talk to me about these symbols? Um, They're sort of,
0: if you were, you know, my grandmother used to say these things like, you can't know what you don't know, <laughs> you know, or, you know, dishwater doesn't give back images or you know just like these random things and as a kid you're like what the heck does that mean (laughs) (laughs) um and so you know as i became a writer you know those sort of wise axioms and proverbs and quotes that people in my family grandmother father mother would say to me i began to say some of those things to my kids and to the young people i engaged with when i went to schools and in my books but i did it in a way that i thought they'd be able to understand it and i use sports as a metaphor. Um, and so you have something like, uh, if you miss enough of life's free throws, you're gonna pay in the end. <laughs> so I'm using sort of a basketball metaphor there. So, you know, where this comes from, these sort of life lessons, these come from ancient societies, you know, who trafficked in, in very few words, but every word counted and mattered. And so the Adinkra symbols are these graphic representations of those life lessons. Love. Righteousness, fidelity, hope, security, you know, it's all those things that help guide us, the maps that guide us to having a better understanding of life and our place in it. So the Adinkra symbols, you know, were created by the Ashanti in West Africa, in Ghana, as a way to help people, help their people, you know, sort of find their way through life.
1: I also, you know, I had to smile whenever I would see, you know, there's a there's a bit of Shakespeare woven into this saga. So talk to me about this decision to incorporate Shakespeare. Why Shakespeare?
0: Well, what we're dealing with, one of the things that the the culture was dealing with in the late 1800s in West Africa and many places around the world is, you know, the colonization of these societies by Europeans, whether it be the Portuguese, whether it be the Dutch, whether it be the British, whether it be the French. And one of the ways you colonize a people is by taking away their language, is by stripping their language, because language, again, language is the guide by which we begin to understand who we are, where we're headed, and being able to communicate that with each other. And so if our language is the thing that's now being taken away, and we're being sort of given this new alien language. What does that say about who we are and where we're headed? If this alien language is now the thing that is our map. Where in the world are we headed? And so, you know, I wanted to touch on that a little bit in this book, and I thought, well, what can I use to really show this dichotomy of the tree language, which is the language of the main character, Kofi, and this alien language that his teacher, Mr. Goodluck, is forcing upon the students, which, of course, is the Queen's English. And so I thought, well, Shakespeare. I mean, you can't really get more old school, you know, (laughs) old English than that. And so let's use Shakespeare as sort of that goalpost, as it were. And I just, you know, remember being made to read Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth and Hamlet in high school and not really understanding the value of it and not really wanting to do it and finding it very boring. You know, it wasn't until maybe after college where I actually could read some Shakespeare. And Of course, I just moved back from London where I lived for three years and I got to go to the Globe Theater and see many of Shakespeare's plays there. So that was my way of doing it. That was my way of really hammering home the point.
1: So, I've read some articles or interviews um, where you described books you read growing up, you know, what your parents would encourage you to read. Do you wish that you had this type of book growing up?
0: I had this type of book growing up. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the cool thing, right? That's why, I, look, Beth, that's why I write what I do in the way I do, because my parents exposed me to these kind of books when I was a kid. My shelves were filled with Charlotte's Web, but they were also filled you know, with Lucille Clifton's Everett Anderson series about a black boy. They were also filled with poetry by Langston Hughes and Nikki Giovanni. Like, I had Gulliver's Travels, and I had Treasure Island, but I also had Walter D. Myers. And, I, you know, I also had so many different writers from around the world. I had the African Writer Series that Heinemann published. So, yeah, the books I had represented me. And my parents did a great job at that. I have found that many of my peers Weren't that fortunate because we definitely didn't have it in school, but I happened to have it at home and they didn't, so they weren't getting it anyway. And I thought, well, there's so many kids these days who don't have parents who have access or who are aware of the many books that are available. And so, yeah, I try to write those kind of books and keep in the tradition of the writers that I read as a child.
1: So you mentioned that you know you didn't have these types of books at school and. You know, some white people tend to eliminate or ban what makes them uncomfortable. Do you mm-hmm. anticipate any pushback?
0: Um, I don't think about it. <laughs> I never even think about it. I think about it when I get asked that question, Beth. But other than that, I try not to spend my time being distracted by other people's issues. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, their, that's their problem. If they want to ban a book. i tell you, here's what I did. There was a, a district in Texas that banned a book I wrote called The Undefeated. And people ask me, what do you, how do you feel? Don't you wanna talk about it? I was like, no, let them ban what they want, whatever. I got a ticket, Beth. I flew to this district in Texas. I had seen on Twitter a teacher who loved one of my books. I went to her school, I surprised her. I read a copy of The Undefeated in her class. That's, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm not about being reactionary. I wanna be active, I wanna keep doing what I'm doing. Which is hopefully trying to continue changing the world one word at a time.
1: So this is the first book in a trilogy, is that right?
0: This is book one in the trilogy. Don't say that too loud because my publisher is like, Harry up and turn in book two <laughs> I was
1: going to say, is this is the full trilogy <laughs> written or <laughs> the <story> so, nope. <laughs>
0: is written. Like, I know I, I know what's gonna happen, but is it written, Beth? I can't say that on air. This <laughs> <Okay>. is document.
1: <laughs> we'll go ahead and delete that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the best part of the interview. <laughs>
1: All right, we'll leave it in. (laughs) Yeah, leave it in. (laughs) Okay, so you you said in your author's note that you, quote, wrote it for the me nobody knows. And, you know, the complete quote is, I wrote it for the me nobody knows. I wrote it for the you who is still becoming, for the possibility that is us. Do you have a hope for this book, what readers will take away after reading it?
0: I I never have a hope for my books like that. I mean, I hope the kids read it. I hope that I've written something that will make them keep turning the page. I hope their parents will engage with it and read it. I hope teachers will enjoy it. I hope librarians will get into it. Um, I think, you know, I wanted to be a teacher. That was was one of my dreams. And I taught for one year, Beth. I lasted one year, and I I retired because it's the hardest job in the world. And it's sacred work, and I just, I just apparently wasn't cut out for it. I've since heard from all my friends who are teachers that the first year is always the hardest, but whatever. I didn't last. <laughs> and so I think in my books, I'm trying to teach. There, there are arguably 20, 30 different lessons in my books because so at my heart, I'm still a teacher. But is there one thing that I hope? That, no. I hope they get something from it and they keep reading.
1: Okay, we've talked about a lot. Is there anything that you want to talk about that I haven't asked?
0: Um, I mean, about the door and no return, I just, you know, I'm 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 thankful and grateful, Beth, that you didn't give away any of the spoilers (laughs) because I I do not like when reviewers and interviewers do that. And you you, this is the best interview. I wish we could. I could do all my interviews with you. (laughs) We're good. Okay, deal. The the only thing I'd say is that. Um, It's exciting to be on this book tour. I'm excited to be in Kansas, coming back to Wichita. I think I was there like four years ago before COVID on a bus tour for my novel uh, Rebound, which is a prequel to the crossover, which I just finished filming the TV series for Disney Plus, and it comes out March 1st. So looking forward to coming back to Wichita.
1: Well, we're looking forward to having you. Kwame Alexander, the book is The Door of No Return. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you.
1: That was Kwame Alexander, author of the book, The Door of No Return, which was published by Little Brown Books for Young Readers. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.